Vince and I have had an amazing relationship for many years. Many, many years. And it all began with WrestleMania number four in Atlantic City. Ladies and gentlemen, the President-elect of the United States, Donald John Trump. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz from the two-man power trip. And, of course, the other co-host is the author of Trump Mania, Vince McMahon, WB, and the making of America's 45th president. He is the one and only Lobby Margolin. Lobby, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for continuing along the journey. Yes, absolutely love talking wrestling politics trump and vince uh, i don't know about you but i love that that mixture that combination oh yes it's been uh, on my mind for at least three years <laughs> <laughs> now you know last week we talked all about wrestlemania 4 and the build-up to it and and how you know really trump uh, branded it so well and it made a ton of money for himself and for vincent kennedy mcmahon today's episode all about leading up to wrestlemania 5 which of course again is in atlantic city at trump plaza so this will be the wrestlemania return one more time to atlantic city the mega powers are ready to collide and donald trump is ready to soak it all in who is marla maples and why is she a front row at the WBF pay-per-view and a celebrity guest at WrestleMania 7. Also, a fun romp through WrestleMania 6, 7, all the way to the Body Slam Challenge on the Intrepid. We're going to focus on WrestleMania 5. We're going to focus on who the hell Marlon Maples is. And, of course, we're going to talk Donald Trump. So, you know, first things first is I just think it's interesting here. Marlon Maples, what is going on? The relationship with the Trumpster. Yes. So um, for anyone that uh, grew up in New York and uh, walked by a newsstand in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, Marla Maples and Donald Trump were sort of the the lead um, moneymakers for the New York Post in that headlines um, uh, related to all their escapades were sort of blaring um, all the different controversies. They they met in church and all different uh, sorts of things um, because, of course, why was it controversial? Because uh, Donald Trump was uh, married at the time to Ivana and um, Marla Maples was apparently his mistress who he ended up um, marrying later. So as far as getting into you know the, the nitty and gritty and, and talking about WrestleMania 5, I just want to mention timely, because we like to say timely here as well. Republican National Convention finishing up a few weeks ago. Kimberly Guilfoyle cuts a screaming wrestling style promo. I just wanted to throw that out there just to stay timely you know, here at the beginning. What's up with this uh, very wrestling-esque promo from uh, Guilfoyle? 
So the whole um, virtual um, Republican National Convention, um, of course, had many Trump supporters. Otherwise, why would you uh, be speaking? <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other aspect was it was that each um, speech was delivered very forcefully, uh, almost screaming and uh, demanding in that it wasn't too different from a pro wrestling promo. Of course, somebody like Dana White um, of the UFC, you know, there's a lot of crossover there. Um, which isn't too surprising, especially since he spoke in 2016 also. But somebody like Kimberly Goldfoyle, who, according to her Twitter profile, is a mother, a sister, a patriot, a proud American, but more formally, the national chair of the Trump Victory Finance Committee 2020 and a senior advisor to Team Trump. Um, so somebody really... Um, close advisor to Trump, her speech was, you know, her basically screaming into the microphone. It reminded me of being um, eight or nine years old myself and watching an exciting, like, Randy Savage um, interview or a Hulk mm -hmm. Hogan promo, and you're sort of trying to become that figure and looking in the mirror and imagining yourself. Her delivery really uh, drew that connection for me. And then, of course, pro wrestling really picked it up, uh, most notably um, – um, Matt Hardy sort of saying that, um, uh, comparing it to one of his past, uh, one of his past characters. So you didn't have to go too far that night to see the connection between uh, pro wrestling and politics. Hundred percent. Now going back, let's go back to 1989. Linda McMahon is going to have some testimony in New Jersey, and the you know, subsequent testimony is going to get a little bit of uh, some publicity. What is going on with Lynn McMahon in 1989 in New Jersey? Right. So um, one of the key reasons to um, get deregulated in a state like New Jersey, especially with a um, event like WrestleMania five coming up is that the athletic commission in the state would charge um, taxes based on certain things that you would do at an event uh, that might be, um, revenue from the closed circuit broadcast from ticket sales it could be from pay-per-view broadcast so if you're able to step out of this regulation you know it's a big uh, money savings also you can do uh, more of what you want in terms of um, medical screenings and and oversight of your own wrestlers if you listened during last episode this doesn't sound too dissimilar from when Linda testified before the Pennsylvania Athletic Commission, except that in New Jersey, this was much more under the national media scrutiny um, because of its proximity to New York. So when she testified that, not in so many words, but basically that pro wrestling was more of a show and fake and shouldn't be under the Athletic Commission, the papers had a field day with it. You know, they said things like Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow are just as dangerous as the Easter Bunny and uh, um, everything is put on. So it created a real uh, backlash for the company and some of the surviving regional promotions or national competitors, they said, well, yes, they're fake, but we're real. Right. And it definitely is one of those things where it raises an eyebrow and you know, can be deemed as controversy, but it's funny, like looking back at it now, it's like, come on, of course, you know, of course it's a show, you know, of course it's, you know, quote unquote sports entertainment, but you know, these guys can really get hurt, but some people tend to try to, that hate wrestling, love to say, oh, you know, the Easter Bunny comment and things like that, trying to disparage the business. But I think looking back, it's like, come on guys. I mean, you, you know, it's not hundred percent legit. 
Right, especially that style of of professional wrestling. But since the early 20th century, there had been question marks about, you know, is what's going on in front of us in the carnival show or um, the touring circuit, you know, even real and where matches were more had a sense of realism. um, But, you know, the ending could be predetermined. But there's always been time periods where you're like, well, a lot of it is fake, but was that real? Um, most notably where a crowd really believed um, was probably um, Eastern Tennessee um, in the 1990s with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where they had their certain heroes and, and villains, and you could see the crowd at times being ready to riot. I'm sure a lot of the mm-hmm. people that went didn't believe that it was real, but there was enough people that believed sort of to to make it exciting. Yes, the suspension of disbelief, for sure. Yeah, the gangsters in, in, in uh, Smoky Mountain definitely causing some riots. Uh, obviously, you know, back in the '80s, that was kind of the big thing. Cornette was causing a lot of riots with the Midnight Express in the Mid South area. But even if you go WCW with the NWO, I mean, throwing trash in the ring, people thinking they're really taking over, thinking it's really real. So, I mean, there are some things where you do suspend uh, that that that, um, that disbelief. You know what I mean? But I think that. Some of these people in the media like to take pot shots at pro wrestling. Yeah, I think it's sort of um, always been the uh, the butt of jokes where um, people that often don't follow it, or maybe they even do, but they're a little bit embarrassed that they do. Um, you know, they see football and baseball and, and so on as legitimate, and not only wrestling, but wrestling fans. And um, it's not too dissimilar today to um, Trump's um, smart strategy, actually, of saying that um, just because you didn't go to college, you don't have a doctorate or master's degree, it doesn't mean that you're not somebody and that your opinion doesn't count, even if it's sometimes counter to um, science or um, certain findings, so that you can sort of rally around this because um new york quote unquote or uh liberal elite they think one thing of you and you should think something else of yourself so one thing we learned last episode is that trump and vince have a two-year plan a two-year agreement for wrestlemania in atlantic city so obviously we're going to see wrestlemania 5 in the same venue as wrestlemania 4 but the real thing um about this and and not trump branding or anything else the way the wwf was branding for this whole year in between randy savage the macho man wins the title at wrestlemania 4 he's still the champion one year later wrestlemania 5 but there were some hiccups in between the teasing of a relationship with Hogan and Elizabeth, the teasing of the breakup of the mega power. So you have a year long story arc between Randy Savage and the immortal Hulk Hogan that is quite possibly. And I know a lot of people would agree is the greatest storyline ever in wrestling because it mixes in some realism. It mixes in um, some real emotion. It mixes in some real life storylines and some real things that uh, happen not only behind the scenes with those two, but I mean, it's one of those things where like jealousy, that's a real you know emotion with, with many people. So a lot of people could relate. Um, Hogan and Savage are probably the two biggest names and two, two top stars. So you have that going for you at the top of the card. So what do you think about this one year storyline arc between between Savage and the immortal Hulk Hogan. Oh man, for me that was the best. As for me and Grandma, I nearly believed. Um, <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, so, for me, the first major angle or match I remember on TV. So this is right in the period I became a fan. Was the Mega Powers against the Twin Towers? I'm still trying to mm-hmm. figure out in my mind if I watched 
it premiere or more likely I probably watched it on Wrestling Challenge on Sunday morning. But whatever it was, it was fresh to me and, and amazing where um, this was the perfect angle where you had Hogan and Macho at this sort of alliance that was always a little bit shaky. And mm-hmm. Miss Elizabeth gets hurt and Hogan goes to the back and the Macho Man is jealous and it really sets the stage. This to me was perfect peak pro wrestling and it's hard to watch with a lens outside of this just because they've done it so perfectly so that when it's imperfect it's you know it's surprising because you have the formula yes i mean gotta be ranked up if you don't say it's the best storyline it's got to be one of the greatest storylines ever uh pat patterson um you know the man kind of behind it him and vince and obviously hogan and savage putting in a collaboration as well but it was just done so well and just so beautifully it is one of those things where it's like wow you guys captured it here you everything right you hit a home run the twin towers thing on saturday's main event where Elizabeth gets taken out. Hogan goes to the back. That's even done perfectly. Savage snapping, which has been teased for a while. I mean, at the World Rumble, it was teased at Survivor Series. In 88, it was teased. I mean, it was just so well done. Uh, I absolutely love the buildup and the storyline. Like you mentioned, the Twin Towers were pretty much being built up very, very big at that point, too. So that was a huge match on Saturday's night's main event. So, as far as kind of leading from four into five, it was done masterfully. But where does Trump kind of fit in? I mean, you're, you're saying here there's a fable of four leading to Trump signaling to five when it was already seven. What's the story behind the Trumpster involving all this? Right. So sometimes um, the truth uh, isn't as interesting as, um, you know, a made up story. So mm-hmm. what's become sort of the, the myth was that, you um, WrestleMania four was so successful. Donald Trump fell down. I don't know what, what that would mean, but he had to sign WrestleMania five. Um, so that things were so great, but in reality that, um, you know, th- this was a plan all along, not necessarily this angle that was really masterfully delivered and kind of uh, connected everything together, but that there would be uh, two events in Atlantic City. Just Trump had a great sense that this would be something uh, successful and, and took that risk on two events. And Trump was uh, rocking and rolling back then, you know, even if he had negative publicity on the New York Post, the rumor often was that his PR person that would call in story or um, was a uh, sort of insider mole was Trump, right? You know, if you've ever seen the uh, McMahon storyline where he uh, pulls off the hood in the late 90s and he says, Mm -hmm. Austin, it was me. It was me all along. So who was the one um, sharing all these stories with the papers? It was Trump all along. Um, So he was in the spotlight and his uh, casinos were were doing well. He had big boxing matches. This was sort of, um, you know, the rise of Trump, the first major staple. I would say the most um, probably of his three arcs of being a major player on the American uh, entertainment scene or political scene, right, was here. Then you go to The Apprentice, and then you go to President. So this is one of the three pillars. I absolutely agree. I love it. And that's interesting that I guess no press is is bad press, I guess, really, when you think about it, if he's kind of creating his own stories. Yeah, they're they're talking about me. They keep saying Trump. I have all these venues that are um, called Trump. So it, it all works out well. 
ingenious some might say some might say crazy but they're crazy like a fox but some might say it might, might be a little ingenious there one thing that i noticed that they changed a bit because they they had prime time wrestling obviously with gorilla and heenan last time and they were taping it on the boardwalk and doing all this other stuff this time changing up a little bit and doing it on the casino floor yeah, so it, it added a different dynamic because they really covered mm-hmm. you know everything that you could possibly do around the boardwalk or Trump facility from the outside. So here they were on the inside, which um, may be a good uh, sort of uh, comparison because the first time they were proving themselves as a company, WWF, and now here they are becoming more insiders. And um, it had a, uh, a different feel to it, although uh, the gamblers there seemed somewhat indifferent to uh, what was going on around them. They were more focused on the slots or, or blackjack. It is interesting that they didn't want to kind of do it outside. Was there a reason for not wanting to do some more stuff outside? Because the, the year before, they got so much good footage. Um, that's a great question. I haven't heard too much about it, but I think, you know, any sort of event where you're focused on the outside, it's really based on, uh, conditions of what's going on around you. And certainly the Northeast, um, around that type of year, you don't know if it's going to be cold or windy or wet, so it can make for not the best shoot. Interesting thing here, which I absolutely love. The million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, now with his million-dollar belt in his possession. He participated in a backstage interview. DiBiase said that the people in attendance there were his type of people, people from his sort of club, the elites, like Donald Trump. And later in the show, DiBiase showed Trump his belt at ringside, which is, by the way, an awesome-looking belt. Trump took a good look, and Jesse Ventura commented, that belt opened Donald's eyes, didn't it? So for somebody like Ted DiBiase, it was sort of the perfect person to play off of. You always want to um, Mm -hmm. uh, butter up your host a little bit, especially if they're paying a site fee for the event um, and something that gives it a flavor of where you are rather than um, just a generic arena that can take place anywhere. So Trump um, really helped to embody somebody like Ted DiBiase. And it was great uh, for photos uh, backstage and, and to get it on screen, something that you can replay over and over the company was always looking for uh, mainstream respectability and somebody like Trump was really well known. So it was a great uh, partnership. As we kind of move into WrestleMania five itself, I want to mention this. Sean Mooney is great. Loved him in, in his role. Great announcer. But here he when obviously Donald Trump is ringside. He's going to go down for an interview. He's going to be a little nervous. I noticed uh, is um, Trump unnerving him a little bit because you don't really see that too much from Mooney. He's usually, uh, you know, pretty professional, but he was very nervous here. Yeah, I think, you know, the company didn't really get so many people that were sort of uh, mainstream and um, key to not only being mainstream, but also key to the importance of an event. So maybe it just overtook him that day. I know he's a great announcer and a great interviewer, but sometimes, you know, you're just not your best. And um, it seemed like Vince McMahon wasn't happy with him when he got backstage. I wonder what happened there. You know what I mean? That's interesting because he's usually, he's usually phenomenal, but uh, you know, not to say he was terrible or anything, but you could definitely tell there was some nerves there um, getting a tr- um, you know, Trump uh, that ringside interview. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, the whole scenario you're in Trump's sort of his kingdom and, uh, not only is he famous, but he's funding the event. So, you know, maybe it just overtakes you. Then possibly one of the greatest promos of all time, the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan, once again, predicting doom for the town of Atlantic City, New Jersey. 
But just like Donald Trump, Macho Man, I hope you're ready, brother, because Donald Trump has questions in his own mind. He sent me a whole team of seismologists out here to check the foundation of Trump Towers. I can, and, and we we kind of joked about this before. Uh, Hogan can be forgiven for this one because Trump Towers is a Trump property, but it's not Trump Plaza there in Atlantic City. Two completely different places, Hulkster. But you know he he has done it before. He gets a little excited, which which is okay um, because when the mega powers explode on this launching pad as we erupt, the whole Atlantic City. Is, and obviously Donald Trump is going to be worried about the foundation. He was worried about the thousands of people in the arena might come unseated and swallowed by the earth. Hogan did his best to assure Trump as he continued. Donald Trump, don't worry about my Hulkamaniacs. They are survivors, brother. They are ready. Did you love this promo or what? Oh, yes. You know, once Hogan gets going, especially for, I would say, one of the biggest matches of, of his career, um, maybe top three, certainly, um, you really are building towards it and you're so excited. And uh, again, I don't think Trump was was too worried. He probably didn't even see, um, see the interview because they didn't really broadcast that on the inside. I just love the promo because he's such a great babyface promo. I mean, great heel promo too, but at this point, great babyface promo. Really kind of sets it home, gets you excited, and you know, you, you want to see him destroy the macho man. Who it which is so interesting too, if you think about it, because you can blur the lines because Savage thinks he's the babyface. You know what I mean? The, everything he's doing, he thinks is the right thing. He thinks Hogan's the heel. So it's just one of those things where you know, in the mind of the heels, uh, that they're they're the babyface and, and vice versa. Sort of, yeah, you have to, you know, even in politics, you have to really believe what you're, what you're doing is right mm -hmm. on, on some level, even, you know, sometimes if the means to getting there isn't, isn't the right thing. And those make for the best uh, protagonists and the antagonists, because when they, you know, meet each other, the mega powers explode. Yes, such an awesome, awesome pay-per-view i have the great poster actually on, on my wall in my office the mega powers explode WrestleMania five poster which i absolutely love that which is a quick sidebar but let's get back to trump and this because i was kind of a little bit confused on it's a little bit different the branding um is much more muted in this one as compared to wrestlemania 4 where it was like overboard on the trump branding is that vince's decision trump's decision why you know why the change I think um, it was probably so over the top on the fourth one that they said, well, we have, you know, more of a, a main event to focus on. So let's do that. And they also knew that um, for four, Trump still had to be served for WrestleMania five. Here, their relationship was only for two shows, even if possibly the sixth one was up in the air. So it was better to focus on um, what the company was doing. And I would imagine, you know, even if Trump, was a wrestling fan, um, he, he or his executives, unless they were promised something would appear, they're probably not going to go back and get the double VHS tape to see, you know, how many times their um, uh, arena was mentioned. With uh, Trump and, and you're thinking of with McMahon and the, the business association, how it's for two shows, WrestleMania five was a better seller for the t-shirt vendors um right is that true then then it was actually for the rolling stones i mean how well did this actually do as far as let's just say the the street vendors or you know the, the other vendors that, that are around town in atlantic city right so i don't have the numbers specifically but um 
when I was doing my research, this was like a fun little tidbit that I found mm-hmm. where um, the local paper um, was was interviewing people that um, the T-shirt vendors for the Rolling Stones when the Steel Wheels tour came off. Um, of course, the Rolling Stones have been around forever, but certainly in the 80s, that was a big peak for them, a very high profile event. And one of the T-shirt sellers, when asked how um, Rolling Stone T-shirts sold, he said, you know, something like they did really well, almost as well as WrestleMania five. Which is, if you think about it, given the popularity of, of the stones and some of the other acts that came through Atlantic city, I mean, pretty damn impressive. It just shows you how big wrestling was, how big this main event was, how big WWF was, how big the Hulkster was at this point. Yeah. And I mean, I remember as a kid, like you would see Rolling Stone t-shirts everywhere. So that must have been quite a a good selling event for the WWF. As far as WrestleMania 4, was this one better for the street vendors or was WrestleMania, I mean, was WrestleMania 5 better or 4 as far as for the street vendors? Are you not sure on that one? I'm not sure, but I can't imagine it having been even better than, you know, not only would you have to be better than the Steel Wheels Tour and WrestleMania 5, you know, so I'd imagine mm-hmm. at this point the branding is really peaking. And um, for WrestleMania 4, right, um, a lot of the images had been done already. If you have Hogan and Andre, you, you've seen that. Um, twice before and there's also the tournament but here you have more of the specific branding of hogan versus savage epic stuff now we're going to just fast forward through we're not going to go through the whole show and we're just going to kind of focus on hogan savage trump and vince obviously but when hulk hogan defeats macho man at the end great great match for some strange i'll just throw this out there just a quick aside some strange crazy reason not rated higher by Meltzer, which to me is is almost like he's taking a shot at hogan but you know i won't get into that too much but i just thought that was crazy that the match when you look but look back isn't rated higher i mean this is a great match uh so much drama so much intrigue the crowd's going nuts except especially one guy in particular jumping up and down as the hulkster wins that would be donald j trump what the heck? He's a huge fan, I guess. Yeah, he was really um, caught up in the moment and yeah, enjoying yeah. the show. Even if, you know, the undercard, unless it uh, related to something about him, wasn't um, maybe uh, the most interesting to him. But what's funny is you see in the front row, not only Donald with his uh, distinctive red tie, but you see at least um, two other uh, red ties. So some of his um, executives or, or friends joining him in a similar uh, fashion style. But um, uh, one of the books that I have, The History of WrestleMania, the official uh, book by Basil uh, DeVito, who we've spoken about previously, um, uh, you really see that some great action shots of Trump jumping up and down or smiling or clapping. You know, it's great you know that Vince didn't tell him the outcome or nobody told him the outcome because that's a genuine reaction. If you really watch him, I mean, he's genuinely uh, excited that Hulkster got the win. Yeah, I could see, you know, as, as um, we'll talk about um, in a subsequent episode, when there's a storyline of Vince McMahon supposedly dying with his limo blowing up and um, Triple H saying that uh, Donald Trump called the company to, uh, to make sure that Vince was okay. I think Trump at certain points can get wrapped up in an interesting narrative. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Now, something serious does happen. His buddy, Mark Grossner, Estes, I hopefully I pronounced it correctly. I know you pronounced it correctly in the last episode, but he dies in a helicopter accident. What yes, um, at, 
Yes, and it took me uh, a while to um, to pronounce his name. I actually uh, misspelled it a little bit in the book. I realized later <laughs> uh, at some times, unfortunately. But Mark Grossinger Etis. So um, he go. was um, sort of uh, his executive that was in charge of sports um, for Trump, and he helped to bring a lot of um, big boxing matches, especially to. Um, to Trump venue. So um, he was in a uh, helicopter flight going to New York, um, I'm assuming returning, um, uh, and um, to promote an upcoming boxing match and his helicopter crashed. So um, of course, unfortunately he died. And um, I think that's really a turning point also for um, Trump's involvement in boxing, although he would promote boxing for a number of years later, that Mark was really a key executive that knew how to run this business and especially with wrestling, although um, Trump would work with um, Titan Sports, the WWF's um, previous name for its ownership with WBF, which we'll talk about. But um, in terms of bringing brands like this to the company, it just didn't happen as much anymore. So, WrestleMania would not be returning. Like we, we've been saying, it's a two-year thing, WrestleMania 4 and 5. It would not be returning for WrestleMania 6. This was covered locally, and a lot of people were disappointed, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, this is one of those cool discoveries where I don't think it was really written about much in the wrestling community or some of the narratives, but I found um, some of the local press coverage at the time where um, it seemed like, you know, there was hope locally in Atlantic City that uh, WrestleMania would return. Why not? You know, it's a um, it's a good event for the town and for the people that benefit when big events come to town, all the people that work um, these different events, including t-shirt vendors, of course. But um, the company uh, wanted to focus on, you know, something different, uh, set a different stage, um, uh, set a different precedent. But um, maybe if Trump had made a bid, I don't know, that was financially impressive, you know, I'm sure the company would have listened. As far as, you know, WrestleMania 6, it was never a thought, right, to do it there. It was never even uh, an idea because obviously WrestleMania 6 is going to be held outside of America. It's going to be in Toronto. Um, there's going to be the big, huge main event of Hogan versus Warrior eventually as well. But was there ever any thought of, of you know teaming up with Trump again, or no? So you know, I would have thought no completely. But this article did shed a light on you know, look, these two events were so successful. I'm I'm wondering if an informal conversation went on, but uh, it seemed like the company was was pretty quickly planning for um, something different. What was this, you know, segments of making fun of Russia? What was this involvement? So this was one of the uh, most um, memorable angles to me of that era. And I apologize to uh, apologies to those that, um, you know, uh, that anthem, um, which they might have been doing accurately, but most likely not at the time was was meaningful to you. But um they had the Bolsheviks, which was sort of an undercard um, Russian tag team, which was a little bit long in the tooth by 1990. Um, you had uh, Nikolai Volkov, um, who was originally from Croatia, and Boris Zukov, who had been Sergeant Private Nelson, um, a protege of Sergeant Slaughter, playing the role of like of evil Russians. And they were singing the national anthem in the bathroom with a piano playing, and somebody flushes the toilet, and then they start yelling. So it was, it was one of those campy, funny, um, 
you know, non-PC angles, I guess, at the time that really uh, stood out to me. That is great, of course. The Trump, Donald Trump, of course, would return, not for WrestleMania 6, but he would make his return for WrestleMania 7, which is what many people say, the most patriotic of all the WrestleManias. What do you think about him skipping 6, but making his return for WrestleMania 7? So at the time, you know, what was there, there wasn't much to, to think about, right? Because coming off of five, you know, he wasn't involved in WrestleMania six. And uh, he was, it's seemingly at four and five because he paid for the event and he wanted to be visible. So that would be it. Um, but interestingly, in retrospect, that six was outside of America, uh, not saying that's why he didn't go, but he did return for seven. And in retrospect, it's really interesting as well, because it was the most patriotic of WrestleManias. You had uh, Hacksaw Duggan dressed as Uncle Sam. You had patriotic ribboning throughout the event. And you had uh, the ultimate storyline of the uh, American turncoat, um, not to Russia, but um, playing off um, storylines of course, reality with America um, having entered the Gulf War and um, winning in in quick fashion, but when things were being promoted, you know, it was it wasn't clear how many lives would be lost and or disrupted, and uh, it was a time of of consternation in America. And the WWF controversially was was playing off those feelings. Yeah, you think about it, Sergeant Slaughter. Mr. G.I. Joe, Mr. USA is an Iraqi turncoat and he's going to wrestle the most patriotic wrestler in WWE history. You know, arguably you can throw in Axel, obviously, and, and slaughter himself in there. But, you know, he's going to f- wrestle Hogan in the main event. The big kind of controversy was they were going to hel- hold it in a, a giant stadium. Many people say because of the ticket sales, I mean, obviously WrestleMania is going to do well, but it's not doing as well as they want. It wasn't going to break the record in the in the, the big arena out there in L.A., so they, they moved it. But then some other people were saying there was death threats on Slaughter, and they would literally be a sniper out there attempting to get at him. It would be easier to do it in the stadium. What is true and what is fiction as far as that? Right. So I think the threats might have been a playoff snippets of – of reality, meaning that, you know, with programming that's being seen by millions of people, um, you know, at, at certain points in the U.S. alone, certainly like a Saturday night's main event, even if some of the ratings were starting to go down and be disappointing, it was millions and millions of people. It was mainstream programming. So out of all of those millions of people, were there uh, people that um, were taking it the wrong way or as more of reality or it was just offensive to them and they were calling in threats to the company? Yeah, you know, there's there's people that have problems out there. And when you're mainstream, you know, we hear about on Twitter, people getting threats and, and so on. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some threats that came in, but I don't think that was what convinced them to um, to change venues. I think when you're uh, booking the Coliseum, which I think held 100,000 people, and, yeah. um, you know, the rule of thumb from what I understand in ticket selling is that most of your tickets sell early and they just weren't moving along that well. So if you were going to end up putting 14,000 or 20,000 people in a 100,000 seat building, um, McMahon, rightly so, was very careful about his branding and trying to avoid showing empty seats on television. Um, 
So it was a smart move to move it to the sports arena and declaring it an instant sellout, um, even if there was the logistical nightmare of, of having to figure out seating for, um, let's say, for example, 200 people that could have sat ringside and now there's only room for 70. You know, what do you tell mm -hmm. the other people? Or when they come to the box office and they have to exchange their tickets, I'm sure some people weren't thrilled. Marla Maples, Trump's girlfriend, has an official role as backstage interviewer. Trump set this up, I guess, uh, with Vince, and he wanted her on TV. I mean, how did this all go down? Yeah, so um, the backstory of, of how they connected and it was set up hasn't really been told. But, of course, that was a draw to uh, bring Trump in again and um, curry his favor and uh, maybe uh, Trump you know, called in some favors to get uh, Marla Maples some some screen time. Uh, she obviously at the time uh, had aspirations of, of being a star or being in bigger headlines. So, um, you know, why not put her in this role as a one of the three uh, guest celebrities and also a backstage uh, interviewer? Did you know Jake the Snake Roberts was her favorite wrestler? Well, according to Jake the Snake, that is. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a whole long uh, narrative with that where I tried to um, cut down to what seemed most plausible from what he was saying in, in that discussion. But it was kind of funny because um, the claim was that uh, Marla would have known of the story that we discussed last time where uh, uh, Jake scared Ivana and she spilled on her dress so that hearing that she upset Ivana, that Jake Roberts was her favorite um, wrestler. So take that for what it, what you will. As far as Ted DiBiase, you know, we mentioned him earlier with the Million Dollar Belt. He is seen backstage taking pictures with Donald Trump. Is Trump a fan of his now? Is DiBiase doing it for, uh, you know, some attention? What's going on with these pictures taken backstage between Trump and DiBiase? Right. So I think Trump, at least was aware of, of DiBiase now, even though he meets so many people in different environments because they've, they've interacted, um, you know, at two events prior in, in, you know, uh, decently significant ways, but I'm sure it was DiBiase um, uh, taking advantage of a good opportunity to get another photo in with Trump because, you know, it really supported his brand. I teased it at the beginning with Marla Maples, but WrestleMania would never return. But the WBF, World Bodybuilding Federation, Vince's uh, other brainchild, obviously with no success um, or very little success, uh, losing money and it closed down very, very quickly. But Trump is there sitting front row with Marla Maples for the big WBF show. Right. So um, at another uh, Trump venue in Atlantic mm -hmm. City. Um, yeah. At the WBF came to town and uh, Trump and Marla sat through the whole show. So, you know, whatever you'll say about Trump, give him credit uh, for that because um, uh, like you mentioned, it was, it was panned by people that love bodybuilding, people that love wrestling, but don't care about bodybuilding. It was sort of neither here nor there. And um, there was all these um, different cheesy skits sort of, kind of like the worst of pro wrestling, trying to make people into characters that really didn't fit, but with no action or payoff, unless maybe you were a, um, a hardcore bodybuilding fan and can really tell the difference between who has better uh, pectoral muscles or, or glutes. <laughs> right. And it's interesting though. I mean, he, uh, Trump is very loyal, right? I mean, to Vince, to, I mean, I guess he wants to get out there, show face, get Marla Maples out there and stuff, but pretty loyal to Vince to, to go to this show, which isn't a, a very known entity. 
Yeah, and um, I think it was, again, a good hand-in-hand um, experience because you have uh, Vince bringing a spotlight to uh, a Trump venue, even though it uh, might have not been clear at the time that it was going to be a, a disaster. But paying, uh, I don't think Donald paid for this event, from, from what I understand, I think. WWF probably paid, um, you know, just to rent the venue, but it got Trump's uh, name again on all the WWF programming while they presented it um, on the event. And for uh, Vince McMahon, it was a, um, you know, fairly prestigious um, venue at the time. So it, it worked out in that way well for everyone, even if the general event was not successful. Now, talking about the WBF. Obviously, a big part of that and maybe a big part of wrestling used to be steroids. So Vince McMahon is soon going to be holding a press conference at the Trump-owned plaza in NYC to defend against steroid allegations. So using a Trump property to you know, basically defend his and his family and his company's honor. Yes. So just um, a few months before the WBF was actually announced at the plaza and um, in an ironic twist, um, uh, given, you know, what what some allege about the WBF, that he would come back to the plaza to defend defend against steroid allegations. Um, The plaza... is sort of one of those marquee uh, venues um, in New York City um, for those that have children or, or read kids' books growing up. Eloise at the Plaza is sort of like a very well-known um, story or narrative for kids about a little girl that lives in the Plaza and all the mischief she's up to. Um, so it's it's sort of like um, one of those places that just isn't just a venue. It's it's sort of a well-established landmark. So Trump used to look out his window apparently, and he always dreamed of owning the Plaza. And he actually, um, when he first bought it, he gave uh, Ivana a job where she would run it apparently. Uh, for one dollar and all of the dresses that that could fit in her wardrobe, which I imagine was was quite a large um, wardrobe, um, mm. but um, and then it, it would eventually go bankrupt uh, in a um, you know in a story that's not too different from from Trump's other experiences. But at the time, again, uh, rather than McMahon holding this press conference, uh, a to announce the WBF and b to defend himself in um, a venue that he. Uh, any old venue he'd rent in New York City or try and get people to Stanford to listen to him. Here he can just call up Trump or, you know, has connections to his people and, um, you know, have some air of legitimacy, even in a negative environment, sort of uh, a place that looks a little bit classier. Now, do you think that kind of says, you know, that Trump is you know, behind Vince in the steroid allegations without him kind of coming out and saying it like, you know, you, you can use my, my resources, use my place to hold press conferences. Is that kind of him saying without saying it, that he's on his side? That's a good question. I think, you know, in this type of experience, like you wouldn't necessarily like have um, too many reservations of, um, of allowing a company to hold a press conference to defend themselves against something like this. Now, if it was, um, you know, OJ Simpson or something that was accused of murder or, um, you know, you know, things that are even more potentially or equally upsetting uh, of somebody that people could do wrong. Maybe the corporation really has to think about like who's running our venue, but steroids, um, um, 
you know, it was something controversial at the time, uh, but some people just didn't even understand that it was illegal. So I'm not sure if Trump was really thought about it much, but I'm sure he was glad to get the money for whatever it costs to rent um, this venue twice in the matter of uh, just several months. So something that just kind of intrigued me or was interesting was the WCW World Championship Wrestling nearly comes to town, but they don't. What's kind of the, the backstory, I guess, with the WCW almost coming to town and then not quite? Right. So um, this is like a, a fun little tidbit, which I really enjoyed in my research of the book, which was not necessarily that Ted Turner and um, uh, WCW came to a, a major partnership with Trump. It was more they were going to rent one of his uh, venues for um, Super Brawl 2, um, which was uh, Sting against Les. Lex Luger, which ended up in Milwaukee. Uh, but a fun um, little side of it, it was that they rented the venue, but then um, uh, Trump had an idea for a, uh, a celebrity uh, basketball game um, pay-per-view, uh, a one-on-one um, between um, Dr. J and I'm, I'm blanking on the other person right now, but sort of like, uh, I think it was a creative idea to take stars of uh, yesteryear and um, use their name branding. Like I could imagine Trump being like, eh, who wants to watch five on five? Some of these uh, you know, other players are total losers. Why don't we just take the biggest stars, even if they're a little bit older and, and people will want to pay to see them on pay-per-view. It, it didn't end up turning out well. And I don't think there was any follow-up, but I think it was, it just shows uh, Trump's creative branding and, and thinking at the time. So Atlantic city, Really, I mean, once again, they kind of became a quiet town for wrestling for a bit. Um, a show of the weekend of the Intrepid Stars and Stripes. Then nothing came again until kind of rules change in 1997. Why like a, a, the dark period after having so much success there? It's a good question. I don't know why, you know, sometimes you could say sort of like burning out a town where you have, you know, two events that are so large that, you know, it's hard to come back to often, but given the gaps in time for four years between events. And when they came back in 93, um, it was, um, it was so low profile that the company was, was on a, a downward trend and um, they would do three shows in uh, a day. So there would only be some stars there. So if you had come back, uh, for this event, um, you would see Ted DiBiase again and Virgil and, and Shawn Michaels that were on WrestleMania 4 and 5, but it was um, such lower profile. I think it's a curiosity and timing and just more coincidence that one of the most patriotic events besides WrestleMania 7 was this body slam challenge on mm -hmm. the deck of the Intrepid, which was quite a unique idea. But then they didn't return to 97. The real... Um, uh, crux of it was that the company was was probably un continued to be unhappy with their regulation in New Jersey, and if it wasn't uh, a super lucrative venue or a big venue like um, Brendan Byrne Arena, um, you know they weren't going to tour um, somewhere like Atlantic City if they could do something in a different town and uh, make more money and be under less regulation. Now, as far as kind of as you go through WrestleMania for. WrestleMania five, then we hit WrestleMania seven and Trump is there. Where are we at, at you know, post WrestleMania seven? Like what's the relationship like between Vince McMahon and, and Donald Trump at this point after highly successful 
WrestleManias, and then after him being a quote-unquote fan at WrestleMania 7. So between the two, you know, it would start to to get quieter for a number of years. I think their sort of their connection to work together wasn't as um, as necessary. You'd have Trump, um, uh, you know, his properties would either go into bankruptcy bankruptcy or, or or be having difficulty and the company uh wwf would be battling um all different sorts of allegations and go into um a fairly dark period until the mid 90s and, and begin emerging and then um when they were sort of it was best for them to work together where they were both sort of coming off peaks but high profile um you know leading to the battle of the billionaires that was a great connection but the relationship with Jesse Ventura that had begun in WrestleMania four with Trump, that would be a key. So as we look towards next week with um, Jesse Ventura first becoming a mayor and then a governor and the WWF and later WWE becoming involved politically with things like smack down your vote, that's really where um, these two areas uh, intertwine. So really, this is kind of the great stopping point for this week as far as Trump mania is concerned and talking about, obviously, uh, Donald J. Trump and Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Just want to throw out some plugs out there. You can go to Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip to follow me. Go to the website, tmptempire.com. Now, Bobby, please give all your plugs, including where they can get Trump mania, the book. Yes, so Trump Mania, uh, Vince McMahon, WWE, and the Making of America's 45th President is available on all Amazon platforms. You could get the print edition and the Kindle edition. Uh, if you want to talk about Trump Mania or the wrestling business, follow me on Twitter at LaVieMarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G, or go to my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. I just wanted to discuss one more uh, piece of uh, breaking oh, news yeah. or timely yeah, news go. before we conclude for, um, for the evening or the day, depending on when you're listening. So we know that um, the seeds are already being sown for a potential controversial outcome for um, the 2020 pre presidential election. So um, Judge Napolitano on Fox News had revealed what was already factual information in a disputed outcome uh, between um, the sitting president and the um, contender, I guess, um, who would serve as president um, in the interim until things are sorted out? The Speaker of the House. So our next president, at least temporarily, might be Nancy Pelosi. So what is the wrestling connection? So in my archives um, search, I found a picture of Nancy Pelosi giving a headlock to Queen Victoria. Um, this occurred in the mid-2000s where... Um, uh, uh, Democrats at the time were, were trying to connect with youth, which is always uh, an important question and challenge. So WWE was running hot. So WWE was invited to speak and to connect with um, some political influencers. So even if Nancy Pelosi is our next president, she has a WWE wrestling connection. Nice. Look at that. Crazy. Everything leads back to wrestling. It just seems like to me, you know, it's crazy, but it is true. So next week, 
maybe talk a little Jesse Ventura, the mayor, the governor, and we'll get into smack down your vote. What do you think about that? That sounds great. I'm looking forward. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week right back here on Trump Mania. See you next week, folks. Money, 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 money. money.